Thanks for joining us on this edition of the EC Insights Podcast. We're here with Bob Woodfield, manager of the Energy Financial Analytics team in our Power Economics Group and Energy Consulting. We're going to talk about asset valuation and the role it plays in the electric power system. Bob, welcome to today's episode. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. All right, Bob. So uh, tell us just a little bit first about uh, what is it that your team does in energy consulting and uh, why is it important uh, you know, in terms of how the overall electric power system operates? Sure. So the, the group I'm in charge of is the energy financial analytics within power economics, as you stated. And w- what we look at is uh, long-term forecasting of the power market, primarily North America. Um, so we're looking at out from anywhere from one year out to 20, 30 years, what we expect the power system to look like from a financial perspective, from an economic perspective. So what do we think power prices are going to be? What do we think the operation of the fleets are going to be? So why do you do that? Why does anybody care about that? So our, our primary clients are interested in investing in power plant assets. Um, so that would be project developers. They're looking to, to build a plant somewhere out. They've got a site. They want to know what the economics of their project look like, and we can help them make those sort of um, decisions. Um, the others would be investors. So the, the project developers are, might be trying to sell a project to an investor, and we can help them make kind of the same analysis. What, what do the cash flows look like for a project that might be built? So when you're, when you're talking to clients about this kind of thing, what are the things you typically talk about? What are the factors they take into consideration? Sure. So the, the most important factors that, that come into play when we're doing this type of evaluation are, are the fuel prices, primarily natural gas, but perhaps coal. Um, and then the the overall load growth. So how much demand is there for electricity in the marketplace? So that's going to be driven by economic factors, demographic factors, maybe uh, a shift from industrial to manufacture, away from industrial manufacturing, things like that. Bob, you've been doing this work for over a decade. What are some of the changes you've seen? So, so going back to when I started, it was about 2008 and Henry Hub gas prices were up in the $9 range. They sort of peaked right when I was starting and that was the, the big thing going on at that time. And over the next about year, it, it dropped from $9 to 4 and we've been in a maybe 5 to $2 range since then. And over the last several months, kind of testing new lows on that uh, sub $2 Henry Hub gas price. Uh, so that, that's been a dramatic change since I started. The, the natural gas price dropped off a cliff early and has sort of stayed low, which has sort of been surprising, at least certainly um, relative to when I started. Um, the other one is the, the continued increased penetration and competitiveness of renewables, both wind and solar. And what what uh, what role is that playing? How is that impacting what you guys are looking at and what your clients are ultimately considering? So with, I'll start with the renewables one. So we're looking at a lot more uh, wind personally, but others are looking at solar as well. Um, with the economics of particularly solar, most recently looking better and better. So the costs of solar panels are coming down. It's getting more and more attractive to invest in solar. Um, so people are looking more and more at solar as a viable um, alternative. Now, on the, what we'll say, traditional side, on, on the, say, gas combined cycle market, the increased penetration of renewables is changing the economics and how those plants are going to operate as well. So it's, it's coming at it from both sides. Okay, so Bob, tell us a little bit about what goes into the analysis, into the analysis excuse me. What are some of the inputs you guys are looking at uh, when you're doing the evaluations of uh, potential investments? Sure. So I mentioned the fuel price and the electricity demand, but beyond that, um, when we're evaluating a specific project, we would want to know exactly where that plant is going to interconnect into the grid. So what, what's the substation where it's going to tie in, um, and specifically about the plant, the heat rate, um, where it's going to procure its gas, what, if there's any special contract that they've got on, on their fuel supply. Um, start cost, the, the efficiency I said, the size of the plant, you know, 
all the, the technical parameters that tell us about how that plant would convert fuel into, or how it would bid into the market. So we take all those things and we put it into to our dispatch program, which is called GE Maps. We, we license that in our software group here, and we would run a simulation to produce an estimate of the cash flows for the plant. So that's a great point. You know, you, you talk about cash flow as an output. What else are you looking at as outputs that you would deliver to customers? Sure. So the, the primary one that we're focused on is the cash flow. But but in addition to that, the, the outputs that would be produced from this type of analysis would be the, the number of hours the plant would be online, uh, which could be useful for forecasting parts life and things along those lines, um, as well as emissions. So what are the NOx, SOx, carbon emissions, which could be useful for permitting? So th those flow, those are part of the cash flow, but they're also part of the permitting process. So as a developer is going through developing a project, they might need to start getting permits with a state uh, environmental commissioner or things like that. So our, our forecast could be useful to start framing those conversations as well. Okay. So talk about who are some of the clients that take advantage of this? You know, uh, obviously project developers, are there other financial institutions or bankers or who, who's the typical profile of a client? Yeah, so it's project developers, um, and one of our, our primary clients here, at least for the work we're doing, is, is an internal client called Energy Financial Services. So they're very active in the, the North American energy space and, and increasingly overseas as well. All right, great. So, you know, this is, seems all pretty straightforward on the economic side. You know, one of the things we've talked about in previous uh, podcasts is, you know, the technical side of the grid and making sure that the grid's reliable and it's efficient and things like that. But there's this whole other economic side that we're addressing in this podcast. Help me understand, uh, how does the work you guys do fit with the technical reliability work that, you know, other parts of energy consulting do? So some of the work we, we do can fit into the reliability side in terms of um, the bars type analysis, so reliability analysis, that's multi-area reliability simulation analysis. So this is uh, probabilistic analysis looking at uh, making sure there's enough capacity available on the grid to meet load plus some reserve level. Um, and one of the projects we're supporting right now is actually looking at how the New York ISO sets their demand curve, which they use in their capacity market to procure capacity. So we're helping forecast energy market revenues that would be expected under future environments, which would then feed back into setting a demand curve to ensure adequate supplies on the NISO system. So let's uh, probe a little bit on that because I think uh, some listeners might not understand uh, the difference between uh, you know, a capacity market and the other types of markets uh, in the energy space. Sure, sure. Help us understand. So what are the markets and what are they about? What are they meant for? Sure. So the capacity market is really about ensuring peak reliability. So it's very much designed around the top one to 30 hours that are in, in the marketplace. So when typically in the Northeast anyway, in the summertime, you've got peak demand levels and you want to make sure that there's enough supply, enough plant capacity out there on the grid to meet that expected peak plus any expected outages that may occur and then a little bit of contingency. So the capacity market is there primarily to ensure that you have enough capacity in the marketplace. So this is as, as opposed to the energy market, which is there to produce gigawatt hours or megawatt hours, the capacity market procures megawatts, simply the, the availability of, of generation to be there, not necessarily to actually produce hour to hour. Okay, and so uh, help us understand what are the what is the energy market? Is that the what people would consider to be? Hey, this is where you actually buy energy to sell to my home, or or yeah. So what what you're buying at your house is is a little bit of both. So so if you look at your home bill, there's a there's a per uh, kilowatt hour charge, which is somewhat like the energy market, but then there's also like a uh, 
a static charge. So you might have half of your bill or something along those lines, which is sort of a just the right to be connected. And that might be based on, for, a, for an individual or a residential customer, that's usually just a, a fixed number. For a, an industrial, that might be based on their peak demand. So that would be very much akin to the capacity market, in which case they're paying a fee associated with their peak demand that may be expected um, throughout the year. Okay. Uh, now, one more question on markets. You know, we talk a lot about the Northeast, and you know, our group has done, in particular, has done a lot of work in, in the New York ISO, uh, and it's a unregulated or deregulated uh, power market here in New York. Uh, does the same apply in um, vertically integrated markets, say, like in the southeastern part of the United States or other parts of the world? You mean the the type of analysis we do? Would it would it be applicable there? Yeah. yeah. So you go about it a little bit differently, but yes, at, at the end of the day, the same type of analysis would be useful. Um, certainly there are people who are developing projects in that part of the country and even the, the incumbent utilities are developing projects and, and our analysis could be useful in those markets as well. Okay, so one of the things that we often hear about uh, in the energy world are power purchase agreements. So it seems like you know, that's a contract that's a little bit different than bidding into, literally bidding into a market at any given point to procure energy or to sell energy. Uh, help explain the differences between what a power purchase agreement is versus bidding into a market. How are they? How do they work together? Okay, so on, on one extreme, you'd have what you call a purely merchant plant. So a merchant plant would have no no energy contract. So they would be selling into the NISO market day ahead, hour by hour, and and they they would dispatch completely based on their bid into the NISO market and NISO's kind of response to their bid. On the other extreme, you could have a fully contracted um, plant, which Basically, doesn't their revenue stream doesn't really matter on how they're dispatched. They might have sold all their um, energy and capacity rights to somebody else for some fixed amount. In which case, they're kind of sheltered from uh, the market day to day. Okay. Um, so, with these multiple different characteristics of markets and contracts at play, um, how does uh, how does a New York ISO, for example, a semi not governmental but nonprofit agency who's you know basically in charge of ensuring the reliability of the grid. How do they incentivize uh, you know procuring the right capacity at any given time? Right? How do they match the demand curve? Um, you know, because I I don't imagine they're just going to say, hey, Mr. Developer, go build a plant over here because we need the power even if it's not economical. How does that work? Sure. So let me let me go back and just make sure I understand. You, you, you said capacity, but to, to draw the distinction between energy and capacity again, are you talking hour to hour in the energy market or kind of year ahead in the capacity market? Either. Uh, well, basically, okay. the question is what incentivizes a developer to build a project uh, in a place like New York? Okay. So if, if a developer is looking at building a project in New York, they would look at both the energy and the capacity market, and they would they would basically start on one side of the ledger and say, what is what is it going to cost me to build this plant? So you've got permitting fees, you know, design fees, all, all sorts of stuff, and then obviously the, the turbine equipment, the generator, and all that sort of stuff. So on one hand, you can figure out how much is it going to cost me to build this plant. And then on the other side, you start figuring out, well, what are the revenue streams that I can get if I build this plant? So the two big ones that, that we'll focus on are the energy market. So if my plant has a, a great heat rate and it's very efficient, it's going to get dispatched frequently. So it's going to get called upon in the energy market and it will get revenue for selling energy to NISO. Uh, the other one would be the capacity market, which we touched on a little, which is, is really the reliability driven market. It's, it's a payment for being available and able to produce energy in the, in the day ahead of real time markets. So now you've got expenses on one side and you're starting to build a revenue forecast on the other side, <coughs> excuse me, and you can compare those two. And if you've get if the, the, the sum comes out that you're making money, the, the revenues exceed the expenses with an adequate rate of return on that investment, 
it, it would it would make sense to go forth and, and build the project. So how does NISO incentivize that? NISO, I think, would say, and I'm pretty confident, would say they're not in the in the business of, of incentivizing people to do something or something else. They're sending, quote, unquote, their proper market signal. So if the NISO market is short of capacity and needs to add more, their market construct should incentivize people to build. But it's not necessarily that they want to incentivize person A versus person B. NISO wants to be independent and send the proper signal so the proper thing happens. So if the looking ahead, there isn't adequate supply in the NISO market, the capacity market should send a signal by via higher prices that new generation would be economical and therefore should get built by uh, profit-seeking, uh, profit-maximizing developers. So Bob, explain to us and to our audience, uh, how do the economics play into and tie into uh, you know, the reliable operation of the grid? We talked a little bit about it a couple minutes ago relative to how the capacity markets work. Can you provide us just a little bit more detail, kind of flesh that idea out a little bit more? Yeah, so, so the most direct tie back from the the economic side of this to the reliable reliable operation of the grid it, it is the capacity market impact. So the the capacity market again is there to ensure adequate supply. So this is focused on peak demand periods when the grid is really stressed out. So in the certainly the deregulated markets, New York, New England, and PJM, and, and to, to some extent or to a large extent elsewhere as well, but maybe not quite as directly, they seek to set up a market structure which will send the signal that gives a developer adequate return on their investment when the system needs increased supply. So, for example, if the NISO system needs 18% reserve margin, so that's 18% more capacity than there is peak demand, and the forecast for next year is that there's only going to be 15%, there's a shortfall that would indicate a reliability concern or or would likely indicate or might indicate a reliability concern. In that circumstance, the the demand curve for capacity would send the signal that, would basically send a high price signal. So that price would be higher than that which a developer would need in order to build their project. So if the forecast for supply is not adequate to, to meet the reliability needs of the system, the signal that would get sent via the capacity market is a high price, and that high price would incentivize someone to build a new plant. Okay, so that seems pretty straightforward. So basically what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, the, the market is designed in such a way that um, you know it'll send a high price signal or a, hey, we really need your help, right? And we're going to make it worth your while to build a new plant to help uh, stem That's that shortfall. That's correct. Okay, great. Uh, so, Bob, uh, any other last thoughts you want to share? Anything we haven't covered uh, relative to you know what your team does, uh, how it works with the rest of uh, energy consulting and the rest of the GE business? Let me just summarize quickly in, in that the what the work that my team does is again looking at uh, pretty much long term, you know, one to, to 20, 30 year forecasts of the North American power system, um, primarily focused on the economic aspects of that. So the the reliability aspects and the the kind of technical transmission design is is sort of left to others and we're much more focused on the wholesale energy market operation so the the locational marginal prices um things along those lines and 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 to, to a lesser extent how the the fleet either the coal fleet combined cycle fleet wind fleet all that uh will operate and trends in that through time and, and how that can be uh 
useful to, to either developers or, or internal GE customers. And so just one last question. I think it's important. Um, you know, we, one of the things that GE is talking about a lot now is this notion of big data. Um, and the way I understand it, you know, the, the economic dispatch program, you guys use maps. Uh, it's been around for quite a while and is probably one of the, the first uh, programs in the industry to crunch big data like that. Is that sure, correct? Sure, yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been developed continuously since about the 70s, I believe. So, so we're coming up on 40, 50 years of continuous development on GE Maps. And help us explain, give us a sense of context, like how much data is in there, what, it, what are you guys crunching? Sure, so the, the largest system we routinely uh, run um, for the North America is, is what's called the Eastern Interconnect. It's about east of the Rockies um, in the U.S. with the exception of Texas. And that is about a 70 or 80,000 bus system, um, upwards of 10,000 generators and, you know, uh, just, just a really big system. So it's trying to optimize every single hour the operation of 10,000 generators um, with nodal load, um, you know, 60 or maybe eight or 10,000 constraints, uh, uh, transmission constraints that, that limit the uh, operation of the plants. And I, you know, I'm the non-technical person, so that sounds pretty big. You know, if, if I'm thinking about it in terms of gigabytes and terabytes, uh, how much data is that? The, the outputs from these runs uh, create uh, enormous, enormous amount of data. Uh, depending on how many things you've got turned on, it can certainly be uh, Gigabytes and gigabytes per per run year. It's it's a lot of data if, if you turn all the all the reporting on. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Well, Bob, thanks for joining us uh, for this episode and this podcast of uh, Energy Consulting Insights, and uh, we look forward to talking to everybody next time. Thanks, Thank you, Bob. Jason, and thanks for listening.